Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert, and I am flying solo today. Yes, this is a uh, Hans solo, you know, insert groan here. Sorry about that episode because uh, dear Steve is uh, out traveling, which we can forgive because I have been out traveling. Uh, In fact, I just got back from an almost three week long kind of counterclockwise tour of Germany. And so rather than doing a deep dive on a specific food today, I thought we would just uh, spend some time, just you and me, talking about uh, Germany, uh, particularly and some fun kind of food epiphanies that I discovered or rediscovered along the way. Um, So let's just jump right in. So I uh, first up, I am very much jet lagged. Uh, I've, I've been many, many times to Germany through my life, but when I stay longer than a week, um, and typically when you're when you're going across the ocean, you do want to stay more than a week, just economically, right? I mean, it's so expensive to get over there. So, but I ended up staying, like I said, almost uh, three weeks on this trip. So my brain is very much uh, dialed into uh, that time zone, which is six hours ahead. So I keep popping up like a jack in the box at two a.m., thinking it's time to wake up. Uh, and the the other interesting thing was when you are in Germany now, especially for a guy from Georgia, it sits quite a bit farther north than Georgia does. And so it stays, especially in the, in the summer, it stays light much longer into the night. Like it, it's not daylight, but it's uh, bright outside until about 10 or 1030 uh, in the evening. And then the sun comes up fairly early as well. So you only get a couple hours of true darkness in the summer, especially in the northern parts of Germany. So uh, my sleep schedule is uh, is all messed up. But we uh, we went to Germany for a couple reasons. And I say we, my my daughter, Ella, is um, a dual citizen. All my kids are dual citizens, as am I. And she is going to be spending uh, a year there as an au pair in the city of Hamburg. And uh, I was going not only to get her situated there, but also I was speaking at a cancer survivor conference in the city of Leipzig, Germany, which is in the former East Germany, a beautiful city. And uh, so I was proud to go and and do that. So it was uh, an adventure, but we started in Munich. Why Munich? Number one, I love that city. If you've not been to Munich, do yourself a favor, go to Munich, uh, especially in in the summer. This early June was a, was a great time to go. It's a very foodie kind of a city. Um, and was also, it just happened to be the cheapest city for us to go uh, from Atlanta. It was about $400 cheaper to go into Munich than it was into, um, you know, Berlin or Frankfurt or uh, Köln or Dusseldorf. So, um Anyway, Munich was a great place to start, and we uh, we rented a little, or we I say rented, it's a new little app called Share Now. We had a little uh, Fiat 500, which, if I'm not mistaken, has the same engine as my weed eater. Uh, so, yeah, very little car with very little uh, power, but that's fine. It, it did the trick. Uh, and we started from, uh, from Munich, and we went kind of in a counterclockwise tour around the country. But first made a little dip down to see a friend in the city of Valbruna, Italy. Now, you know, the cool thing about being in Europe and and uh, forgive me if I'm if I'm being redundant, if you know this already, but, you know, for us here in Georgia, if I want to go to Tennessee or North Carolina or South Carolina or Alabama, I'm an hour or two away from each of those states. So when you're in Europe, the same kind of holds true. You can be in a city like Munich and then in two hours be in Salzburg, Austria, or in three hours be in uh, Valbruna, Italy. And uh, how cool is that? I mean, you in, in a day, you can go and, and not only are you changing languages, but you're changing cultures and traditions. And I mean, everything from the way they dress to the way that they uh, 
harvest and, and store their hay is, is different. I mean, it, as you drive uh, through, uh, you, you really do notice those very distinct regional cultural uh, idiosyncrasies that make those places unique. So several years ago, I started going to Valbruna. Um, I have a friend there named Marco who has a hotel uh, aptly named the Valbruna Inn. And he invited me to come and be sort of a guest chef uh, for this food and wine festival that they called Ein Prosit. And where Valbruna sits is in the extreme northeast corner of Italy. So you are within under an hour, you can be in Austria or you can be in Slovenia. So Ein Prosit was designed to be this food and wine fest that attracted folks from both Slovenia and Austria uh, to come and really explore the Fruili region of Italy. So again, extreme Northeast, it's in the Alps. That particular corner of the Alps is called the Julian Alps. And I mean, it is a unbelievable, special kind of beauty. And if you've ever been to the Rockies, the Rockies will give you kind of like a, a bit of a, a tease of what the Alps are like. But here in, in Georgia, where I live, is in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And you think of those as mountains, but when you see the Alps, you almost get whiplash having to look up into the sky to find the peak of these mountains because uh, it, it, there is no word that can describe the, the, the magnitude, the size of these mountains. Uh, and of course, I made a million photos and we'll share some of those, but even those photos do very little to kind of give you the perspective of what it's like to stand there in the Alps looking at these uh, these mountains. And the especially this time of year in early June, everything is in bloom. And you, you see those uh, Ricola commercials, Ricola, and they show all of these mountain herbs blooming and, and flower. And it really is that. I mean, there are even orchids that grow uh, in those high elevations. And so I, I, me being the plant nerd that uh, I always profess to be, I probably have more plant and food photos uh, from this trip than I do of of family that we visited. So sorry, family, you know what you look like. Um, so yeah, so I, as I'm as I'm looking back at these photos, it is a little bit ridiculous how many uh, how many flowery things I have uh, going on. But I really wanted to mention Valbruna because um, what we have done several times in the past is a little bit of a culinary tour where um, I get a group of folks, like-minded food enthusiasts, and we go to Valbruna. And the cool thing is you unpack once and uh, we keep it kind of small, you know, 10 or 12 people. And then every day we do these kind of food or foodie themed or food adjacent excursions where we go into um, into Austria to, to have the apple strudel, which is unbelievable. Uh, we go into Slovenia and uh, to Lake Bled and we see, um, you know, all of the things there. They're famous for um, their tartare, which I know it seems kind of crazy to have um, steak tartare be a, a, a dish of importance or regional, uh, you know, significance, but it is really fantastic. Um, so if you are interested, and this is not an ad, this is just literally a placeholder because I already have several people signed up for this. Um, next year, so in 2023, if you're listening to this in 2022, um, we're going to put together one of these trips where it's going to be a week uh, in Valbruna, Italy, uh, with a food-themed excursion every day into surrounding Slovenia, Italy, and Austria. So um, we'll put more details of that when the time comes, but uh, just kind of make a mental placeholder for you there that June 2023 we're going back to Italy, Austria, uh, Slovenia. And if you're if you're up to it, uh, you can fly into either Venice or into Munich and spend a couple extra days uh, in either place, uh, either at the front or the end of the tour um, on your own and just exploring those places. And it's worth it because if um, you get a week with us uh, on this quote unquote tour, uh, but then while you're over there, like I said, it's 
if you're going to cross the ocean, you might as well spend some extra time. And, and I've got some recommendations for you, too, if you do want to travel around there. Um, what I wanted to mention about Valbruna, there is a cheese there called Montasio. Now, Montasio is, um, you know, they have all of Europe has these sort of regional specialties, right? I mean, every every place you go, either it's a beer or it's a it's a cheese or it's a, you know, whatever it is. Um, so but in this area, the Montasio cheese is award winning. It's in the kind of Swiss style of, of cheese um, and it is unbelievable. And even my daughter, Ella, who is now 19, when she was seven or eight, the first time she went, she kind of made a very, uh, very bold statement that um, if it's not Montasio, it's not actual cheese. Uh, and that's how much she loves that particular cheese. And it is uh, fantastic. I usually end up bringing back about eight or 10 pounds of that when I uh, when I travel over there. So I'll share some great pictures of the actual mountain uh, called Montasio. And you'll see that the, the cows are there grazing up in the Alps. I mean, it's uh, it is impressive um, to see. You know, again, it looks like almost like the sound of music and the hills are alive with cows grazing on uh, on all of these alpine uh, herbs and, and grasses. And it makes fantastic milk, which then makes fantastic, uh, unbelievable cheese. So um, that was kind of our first stop. We, we stayed uh, three nights in in Valbruna and uh, visited the little town of Nuch, which is uh, N-O with umlauts, T-S-C-H, which is just across the border in Austria with honestly the best apple strudel I've, I've ever had. And then after our little visit there, we started making our way north towards Leipzig. Again, I had a, a, a bit of a conference there um, to speak with not only stomach cancer patients, but also just uh, anybody who was interested in nutrition. I had a lot of a lot of different people with health issues and uh, at the University of Leipzig there. And we did um, a bit of a food demo, as I'm as I'm uh, often prone to do, with quinoa. And if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we did a whole series on quinoa, and it was kind of neat because the uh, quinoa in the past five years has really become uh, more kind of visible in uh, in not only American groceries but overseas as well. When I'd first gone looking for it in Germany, maybe ten years ago, they were calling it Andean rice. Um, you know, obviously it's not rice; it's a grain. Uh, you know, it's its own thing, but to get the uh, the Germans kind of interested in it, they had to, to give it a name, uh, Andean rice. But uh, you will now see it listed as as quinoa. And uh, it was kind of it's always fun when you can introduce someone to an ingredient and really kind of have the, you know, one of these epiphany moments where people are like, wow, I had no idea that this was this good or that that had these health benefits. So, um you know, I obviously did not create or invent quinoa, but I still have this pang of, uh, of you know, solid pride uh, whenever somebody has, you know, their, their eyes open wide and they're like, wow, I didn't, you know, I tried it before and it didn't taste like anything. Well, there's a lot of ingredients that don't taste like anything until you do something with them. So, um, again, I won't go too far down the quinoa road. We did a whole episode on quinoa, but it was great to connect with uh, with some folks. And you know, my German is is functional. Uh, you know, they call it Denglish, and Denglish is kind of a uh, half mix between Deutsch and uh, and English. So between their English skills and my German skills, we uh, it worked. You know, it's kind of fun when when you have like minded people in the same room. Language, uh, of course, is always uh, that's important, but it's not crucial. That if if people want to communicate, you find a way to communicate, and it worked out quite well. So moving again counterclockwise, we we did the um, we did the thing in Leipzig. Actually, before we get too far, let me jump back to Salzburg. Uh, we Ella and I ate at a restaurant called Saint Peter. Saint Peter is the oldest 
operational restaurant in Europe, meaning it's uh, it's been going nonstop, maybe not the same owners, but the restaurant has been open since the year 803, not 1803, 803. Think about that. I mean, that is, you know, uh, it's, gosh, what I can even do the math in my head right now. I'm so like flabbergasted. It is what, 1400 years old, roughly. Uh, I mean, it is uh, unbelievable how old um, the, the restaurant is, but the quality is amazing. The the level of service is amazing. And you see that quite often when you're there, you'll see a sign for a brewery that says since 1215 or since, you know, uh, 1477. And you almost become kind of uh, numb to that, that a lot of these, these organizations or these establishments are older than our country. Um, and I think that kind of lends a lot to the, um, that sort of feeling of quality and and history and tradition and you'll see that every single city that you stop in whether it's the size of uh, jasper georgia or it's the size of you know munich or frankfurt they hold on to those traditions i mean in, in a way that is so celebratory and so deep and there's like a a, a food dna in each of these cities um and again if, if you've not been uh to any of these places I would say Salzburg is probably in my top five of, of cities uh, in Europe. It is uh, it is such a great uh, food city. Of course, you got the whole Mozart thing. There's lots of uh, music and art and all of those things, but um, known for its apple strudel, as I mentioned, it's also known for something called Salzburger Knockerl, K-N-O-C-K-E-R-L, I think, Knockerl, um, Salzburger Knockerl, which uh, is sort of a dumpling. Uh, typically, a Knockerl is a, is a dumpling. But in this case, it's a souffle that looks like a mountain range. So it's this um, it's this dish, and it's usually shared between two or three people. And it comes to the table, and it looks like three tall mountain peaks. Um, the souffle does, and they've dusted it with powdered sugar, and it's it's opulent, it's decadent, decadent, and it's delicious. Um, but again, bring a friend because you're going to need uh, some help eating that. Uh, and then the other thing, which I um, I'll share a link to this. It's called Kaiserschmarrn. And Kaiserschmarrn literally translates to the emperor's mess because uh, the Kaiser was like the emperor. And uh, this Kaiser uh, who was in Austria, he loved these torn pancakes. So you, you basically make a, a, pan a pancake and this is a great application for leftover pancakes. And you kind of tear it into little bite-sized pieces or into, into strips. And you then you, you get more surface area and you, you kind of cook that again, along with things like uh, rum soaked raisins and almonds and uh, little pieces of apricot or apple or pear. And then you can drizzle the whole thing with a little honey if you if you like or a little dusting of powdered sugar. And that is such a good uh, breakfast or brunch option. And, you know, you're not having to worry about these perfectly spherical or round uh, pancakes. So if your pancake is a little ugly, just rip the whole thing up, toss it in a skillet with all of these yummies. And some people even enjoy putting a little things like uh, pancetta or bacon in there. So you have that kind of sweet and savory thing going on. It really does look like a mess, uh, but man, it is so good. So I, uh, I did a video of Kaiser Schmarrn for the Gastric Cancer Foundation. So we'll put a link up on that. I haven't seen that video in probably five years, so hopefully it's not too embarrassing. Um, but it'll give you an idea of uh, a real fun way to impress your brunch guests um, and also gives you the uh, artistic license to be messy and kind of get in there and, and have some fun with it. Um, so again, leaving um, leaving the kind of eastern side, we made our way uh, again counterclockwise going around, stopped in Hamburg for a few days. and. That's where Ella's going to be um, living for a year. 
And Ella is a uh, is a vegetarian, and I say that because uh, in Germany, you know, it's it is a they eat more pork in Germany, I think, than than you know most countries. And so, finding vegetarian food, even uh, you know, recently in the last couple of years, you, you had very few options. And when I was a kid, anytime we would go to Germany, and the menu would say gemischtes Gemüse, which means mixed vegetables, it essentially was canned or at best frozen peas and carrots. And uh, nothing inspiring. It was just kind of blah. And that was really, you know, kind of in the 80s. Uh, was not very exciting. But uh, Germany's coming a long way with uh, with a lot of people being vegetarian or vegan and or they call it vegan. Uh, and so you see a lot more options. Of course, the, the German potato pancakes are vegetarian. Uh, most of the time, sometimes people put bacon in there, but that's a great option. The cheese spätzle, and spätzle are these little um, drop noodles uh, that they kind of pan saute with, uh, with and then melt some cheese in there. Fantastic. We were there right at the tail end of the white asparagus season, and Germans are absolutely obsessed with white asparagus. Um, in fact, you know, the green asparagus uh, is kind of frowned upon. I mean, people, they eat them. Uh, but it's the same plant, and I don't know if you were aware of that or not, but it really is the same plant. It's just that they mound the dirt higher and kind of prevent the asparagus from seeing sunlight, which kind of gives it that, you know, bleached out. Um, the chlorophyll essentially hasn't developed in the plant. So um, they actually harvest with this long kind of a, a sharp blade that they stick underground and then they pull up the white asparagus. It's a, it's a neat thing to see if you like asparagus. Um, but the whole country becomes obsessed with asparagus pretty much all through spring and early summer, which again, great uh, vegetarian option. But the thing that really kind of blew my mind was I had vegan shrimp while we were in Hamburg. And, you know, for the most part, I'm not a huge fan of some of the meat substitutes that are trying to be mock meat. You know, I love veggies and I love like a, a quinoa or black bean burger or, you know, an oat burger where they're taking grains and they're making something new. But when you're trying to emulate a, you know, an animal flesh, usually just that by comparison, you're, you're comparing it to something that you're going to fall short of that. But these vegan shrimp, I swear, were part alchemy, part magic, part witchcraft. They're made out of king oyster mushrooms. And the, the bite, the chew, the texture was so spot on that I really kind of had to dissect the thing looking at it like, are, am, I, am I sure I'm not eating an actual shrimp? So I don't want to set the bar too high and you're going to go try vegan shrimp somewhere and go, what the hell was he talking about? But I was pleasantly surprised and impressed with, uh, with the, the product, the quality, the taste. Um, kudos to whoever figured out how to how to do that, and I kind of think that's you know as we not to get on a soapbox, but as we as we sort of use up our natural resources, you know, at some point we're going to have to really look at these alternatives um, as the mainstream. So, however they figured that out, again, applause to you. That is a, such a cool thing that you made a vegan shrimp that I was impressed with. So I would have that again. I'm going to have to do a little more research into that one. Um, so I, I mentioned at the beginning, sometimes you are rediscovering uh, these culinary things, right? So um, I did have many a sausage while uh, while I was in Germany, and we're actually going to do an episode on worst. Uh, and so I'll save all of my best worst jokes for uh, for that episode. But so I, you know, I did uh, dabble a bit in some sausages, tried a few things there. Um, the uh, but the thing that really kind of was a wow moment for me 
was horseradish. And I kind of forget about horseradish. I mean, we we think of it as this prepared thing and it's either like, you know, in a sour cream base or it's in a vinegar base and we, you know, have it with prime rib and it just, it's got a little bite to it, but it's, you know, it's just kind of there. Um, but fresh grated horseradish. Oh my God. I, um, I was having a meal in uh, the city of Haar, H-A-A-R, which by the way is the German word for hair. So I don't know the why they named the city after uh, after hair but anyway i was uh, on one of my last evenings there's a there's a style of eating in germany usually the the biggest meal of the day is lunch and then sometimes in the evening you have what's called abendsbrot and that basically means evening's bread and so you get this kind of uh, oftentimes it's a wooden platter and it'll be cold cuts or you know a piece of uh, pork loin uh, from a previous roast with some pickles and a little green salad and some dark, chewy brown bread, some, you know, a side of uh, some butter, which is butter. Oh, my God. So good. And uh, but they had this mountain of freshly grated horseradish on the platter. And the the waitress actually recommended that I put it on buttered brown bread and you know, the idea of shredded horseradish on buttered brown bread sounded so, okay, you know, let's try it. But I cannot stress enough how unbelievably good that the, the texture, the flavors, the pop of that fresh horseradish with the, you know, the butter kind of almost immediately, you got the slight burn and then the cooling of the butter and the, the dense chewiness of the bread. Uh, that is my my favorite food find, as simple as that sounds. Of the whole three weeks that I was there, the fresh horseradish, which is hard to say fast, uh, but that on buttered brown bread, which is also hard to say. Wow, I'm, I've got a, a tongue tied here. Um, but also that with the little pickles and radishes and fresh greens, what a great way to eat. And so I um, was kind of raised eating that way from time to time. Oftentimes, you know, especially in the restaurant industry, by the end of the night, you just don't want to have a big meal. And so we would eat like that. It would be leftover sliced uh, duck breast, you know, from a from a meal or um, a veal cordon bleu that was um, cold and then sliced into strips and eaten on a piece of bread. So my uh, my father and I in particular would eat that way when we were just we knew we needed to eat something, but we didn't want to sit there and have a big, heavy meal. So the Abendsport, um, what a just reminded me, rekindled that idea of what a great way to eat uh, and also I'm going to start looking for the fresh horseradish in my produce section a little more often. Um, I've grown it in the past, but it's a, it's a little finicky and I won't get into all that, but I'm just imploring you go out, get some fresh, not the, not the jarred stuff. I'm talking about the actual root, peel the outside layer, get a grater. Um, and you want it to look almost like Parmesan cheese. You know, that's the consistency. So not big shreds, um, but real fine shredded horseradish, uh, a nice ice cold glass of beer and, you're, you're good to go. I mean, that is so freaking delicious. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I'm just rambling on, I know, and you're probably thinking, what is the point of this podcast? The point is, I had such a great time. Every single city I stopped in, I tried two, two things, their coffee or particularly espresso, because I, uh, I am an espresso nut, and the coffee there is just so good. Italy, Austria, Germany, everywhere the coffee just seems to be, uh, seems to be amazing. Um, so in the morning I would have a coffee and then afternoon and evening I would have a beer because I mean, it, it sounds almost like a, like a joke, right? But every German town has its own particular unique brewery and they have their own style of, 
of beer and the the amount of hops or the amount of uh, the amount of barley or how they how they tweak it and the in the history as I mentioned. So I have this collection of uh, as I'm looking through my photos, this collection of beer photos. And again, I'll I'll share a lot of these and some of these you've heard of like Varsteiner or Bitburger, um, but uh, some of these are just really unique and and intrinsic to to that one region. And so and if you're not a huge beer fan, there's something called an, a Rodler or in some areas it's called an Ulster, uh, which is basically like a, a shandy, right? It's a, it's part Sprite or even sometimes orange Fanta, say 20% Sprite or Fanta mixed with beer. And in the summertime, oh my God, that is so refreshing. Like if you're looking for something to, uh, to kind of quench your thirst after mowing the yard or going for a jog, a, uh, a Rodler is so good. And you can buy uh, pre-mixed bottle versions of those, but skip it, Get find a great beer that, that you enjoy, add a little bit of um, even even club soda, but I like a little bit of um, ginger ale is great. The American orange Fanta is not the same. That's more kind of cloying and sweet. I'm not a fan of that, but the, uh, the German orange Fanta kind of tastes more like um, Sundrop or Squirt. It's got the, more of a, a true citric kind of a thing going on. So so it just, I'm sorry, I know I'm rambling and now I feel like my mouth is is turning into the Sahara Desert because I need a beer. I don't need a beer, uh, but I would like to have a good beer. Um, such a great part of, of, of Germany and German culture. So I'm going to stop rambling. I uh, had a great trip and I would love to share some of uh, some of that culture with you. If you are interested, uh, just let me know. You can send, uh, send us an email at our uh, Gmail address. Um, and uh, so let me mention, Steve is always so good at doing all of these things, uh, our credits and whatnot. Um, but idigestpodcast.com is our website. And from there, you can jump to any of our social media stuff. It has a link straight to uh, our email. Um, so hop right on there. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to share a lot of these photos on our uh, social media. I love it. Not just me, Steve and I love it when you interact, right? I mean, that's that's the whole point of this thing. We uh, this is not a uh, a financial uh, endeavor. We're not doing this to make money. We're doing it for the love of, of of food and the history and the the heroes and the hoopla, as we always say. Um, but it becomes a community, right? And the more that we can have a conversation, tell me about your favorite trip to Europe. Where do you, where do you like to go? What's your what was the thing you found? Uh, the first time or the last time that you uh, went overseas, um, because you know I'm going back. Actually, I've got in. Uh, I've got an invite to go back next June and speak again in Leipzig. Um, so maybe I overlooked something. Maybe there's something you want to share with uh, with us, uh, or maybe there's something you can show us if you join us uh, on the uh, on the trip to Italy, Austria, Slovenia. Uh, and I'm trying to get uh, Steve to go with us on on that as well. So it might be an actual but I digest kind of a excursion might be the first of many food themed excursions but um i'm losing my voice I'm losing sleep i'm losing my voice but uh we will be back uh in a couple of weeks with a uh, our best worst episode ever talking about uh, some of the sausages and the history of that which will tie into this rambling travelogue uh big love to everybody stay safe stay uh, stay healthy stay curious and uh I, I love I love our community. So keep uh, keep the conversation going. As always, a big thanks to our editor Natalie DiCicco. Uh Hewitt Rabel does all of our fun internety webby kind of stuff, and is my partner in crime in all the videos that I do. Our music is by uh, Corey Goodrich and by Brian Reyes. 
and I know I'm forgetting somebody, uh, but big thanks again to to everybody that contributes and makes this uh, fun. And if you have if you have an idea for an episode, um, you know, we've had a couple of episodes that were suggested by our listeners. Um, feel free to send them along. I'm going to go have uh, an afternoon beer, maybe take a nap, catch up on from my jet lag. Until next time, friends, take care of yourselves because I'm hyped.